The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 14, Continuation of the Preceding Chapter, and More Discoveries. Conversing on different subjects, we reached the long chain of rocks over which our pretty falcon stream made its escape in a cascade, delighting at once the eye and the ear in its progress. We thus reached Jackwell's River, and from thence to Tent House, having with difficulty pushed through the high grass which presented itself. Our fatigue, however, was relieved by the uncommon beauty of the scenery around. On the right hand was a boundless sea, on the left the island with the bay by which it was accessible. I took a dried stalk of the tree, stripped off the bark, and there appeared a kind of dry, spongy substance which I laid upon the flint, and then striking it with a steel, it instantly caught fire. The boys looked on with astonishment and soon began to caper about, exclaiming, Long live the tinder tree! Here then, said I, we have an article of greater usefulness than it if it served merely to gratify the appetite. Your mother will next inform us what materials she will use for sewing your clothes when her provision of thread from the bag is exhausted. My wife, I have long been uneasy upon this very subject, and would willingly exchange our greatest luxury for some hemp or flax. Father, and your wish shall be accomplished. If you examine, you will find some excellent thread under the leaves of this extraordinary plant, where all provident nature has placed a storehouse of this valuable article, though the lengths of thread will be found not longer than the leaf. I accordingly drew out one of the leaves, a strong piece of thread of a red collar, which I gave to my wife. How fortunate it is for us, said she, that you have had the habit of reading and of study. None of us would have a thought about this plant, or have conceived that it could be of any use. But will it not be difficult to draw out the lengths of thread through the prickles that surround them? Father, not in the least. We shall put the leaves to dry either in the sun or by a gentle fire. The useless part of the leaf will then separate by being beaten, and the mass of thread will remain. Fritz, I see clearly, Father, that we ought not to trust to appearances, but one may, I suppose, assert that there are no good qualities in the prickly plants, which are growing here in all directions, and, and the chain of rocks forming altogether an assemblage of the picturesque way equal to what the liveliest fancy could desire. We distinguish different families of grasses, many of them of the thorn-leaved species, and stronger than those cultivated in the greenhouses of Europe. There was also in abundance the Indian fig with its large, broad leaf, aloes of different forms and colors, the superb prickly candle or cactus bearing straight stalks taller than a man, and crowned with long, straight branches forming a sort of star. The broad plantain spread along the rocks as innumerable bows, twisted with each other, hanging down perpendicularly and ornamented with flowers, which grew in large tufts, and were of the brightest rose color, while that which pleased us best, and which was found there in great abundance, was the king of fruits, both for figure and relish, the crowned pineapple, of which we all partook with avidity. 
Soon after, I was fortunate in it enough to discover among the multitude of plants which grew either at the foot or in the clefts of the rocks the karata, the Bromelon karata of Linnaeus, many of which were now in blossom. Travelers have given so perfect a description of this plant that it was impossible I should mistake it. I pointed out to the boys the immense size of its leaves hollowed in the middle like a saucer in which rain is for a long time preserved, also its beautiful red flowers. As I was acquainted with the properties of this useful plant, the pith of which used as tinder by people who also make a strong kind of thread from the fibers of its leaves, I was not less satisfied with the discovery than I had been with that of the potatoes. Wishing to exhibit one of its uses to my children, I desired Ernest to take out my flint and steel, wounding the persons who go near them. Of what use can they possibly be? Father, the greatest part of these possess discovery and an additional source of usefulness. Medicinal virtues, great use is made in pharmacy of the aloe, which produces such abundance of beautiful flowers in the greenhouses in Europe. Some have been seen to bear more than 3,000 blossoms. At Carlbad, upon the estates of Count de Limbourg, there was an aloe tree 26 feet in height. It had 28 branches, which branches bore more than 3,000 blossoms in the space of a month. At Paris, at Leiden, in Denmark, there have been also seen some exceedingly curious specimens of this tree. Many of them are full of a resinous sort of sap, of which valuable gums are made. But look here, too, is the Indian fig, or prickly pear, a vegetable of no common interest. It grows in the poorest soils, and as you see upon the rocks, the poorer the soil, the more luxuriant and succulent its leaves. I should be tempted to believe that it was nourished by the air rather than by the earth. It is also called the racket tree from the resemblance of its long, thick, flat leaves to that well-known instrument. The plant bears a kind of fig which is said to be sweet and palatable when ripened in its native sun, and it is a salutary and refreshing food. This then is another plant of great utility. I next introduced them how to gather this prickly fruit without injury to their fingers. I threw up a stone and brought down a fig which I caught upon my hat. I cut off one end and was thus enabled to hold it on a knife while I peeled off the skin. I then resigned it to the curiosity of my young companions. The novelty, rather than the taste of the fruit, made them think it excellent. They all found means to gather some of the figs, and each was busied in inventing the best method of taking off the skins. In the meantime, I perceived Ernest holding a fig upon the end of his knife, turning it about in all directions and bringing it close to his eye with a look of curious inquiry. I wish I could know, said at length our young observer. What little animals these are in the fig, which feed so eagerly upon it, and are of a scar scarlet collar. Father, ha ha, this too will perhaps turn out a nude. Let me look at your fig. I will wager that it is the insect cochineal. Jack, the cochineal? What a droll name. What is the cochineal, father? Father, it is an insect of the kind called suckers, or kermes. He feeds upon the Indian fig, which no doubt is the cause of his beautiful color, so much esteemed in dyeing, for nothing else produces so fine a scarlet. 
In America, they stretch pieces of linen under the branches and then shake the tree. And when the insects have fallen in great numbers, the ends of the linen are folded together to enclose them. The insects are sprinkled with vinegar or cold water and then dried and sent to Europe where a high price is paid for them. But I have not mentioned a still superior usefulness peculiar to the Indian fig tree. What if I should assert that it can be used as a protection to man? Fritz? As a protection to man? Why, how can that be, Father? Father, it is well adapted for enclosing the dwellings of man, for you see that besides the prickles there is a large thorn at each of the knots in the stock, well calculated for repelling the attacks of animals or men. This, then, you see, is a third usefulness the Indian fig tree can boast, and of which I was not at first aware. You must perceive of what importance these enclosures are, and the rather, as they are made with so little trouble. You, if you plant only one of its leaves in the ground, it immediately takes root and grows with astonishing rapidity. Jack here cried out that with the assistance of a knife or even a stick it would be easy to get over such a hedge, and he began to cut down with his clasped knife a pretty large plant, striking to right and left with all his might, till one of the divided leaves fell with such balance on his leg that the thorns struck into his flesh, and Jack roared out piteously and quickly sat down to draw them out. I could not, as I assisted him, refrain from laughing a little at his adventure. I observed to him how difficult it must be for savages who wear no clothes to force such a barrier as they formed. And for this once I had the pleasure of convincing him. Ernest, ah, oh, father, do let us make a hedge of these plants around our tree. We shall then have no further occasion for fares to preserve us from wild beasts, or even from the savages who may arrive in their canoes as they did on Robinson Crusoe's island. Fritz, and we could then easily gather the cochineal and dry, dry to make the same beautiful scarlet collar. Father, we shall have time enough for many things, my dear children, but for the present it is sufficient to prove to you that God has not made anything to be wholly useless, and that it is the duty of man on whom he has bestowed the gifts of wisdom and intelligence to employ those faculties in discovering the utility of the different productions he has allowed to exist. Jack, for my part, I have done with the Indian fig tree, its fruit, its caution, and its ugly thorns, and I will never go near it again. Father, if the plant could speak, it would most likely say, That little boy shall not come near me any more, without any reason or any necessity, but purely out of contradiction to his father, he attacks and destroys me. Me, who would have done him service, if, if he would but have treated me with kindness and have been careful in coming near me. And now, Jack, if your leg is still painful, apply a leaf of the karata to it, for I recollect that the plant possesses the property of curing wounds. He accordingly took my advice, and in, and in a few minutes was able to join us on our road to Tent House. Now then, said Ernest, I have had an opportunity of learning the valuable properties of the karata tree and of the Indian fig tree. But I wish I could also be informed what those tall plants are, which look like sticks covered with thorns that I perceive everywhere about us. I see neither fruit nor insects on them. Of what use them, Father, do you think they can be? Father, it is not in my power to explain to you the uses 
Of all the plants in the world, I presume that many exist which have no other than that of contributing to the sustenance of different kinds of animals, and as I have already told you, it is for man, by his superior intelligence, to discover those that can be applied to his own use. Many possess medicinal qualities, of which I am ignorant, and which will become better known as the world advances in age. The plant you speak of is perhaps the prickly candle, described by Bruce in his travels to Abyssinia, and of which he gives a drawing, the only difference that I perceive being the size. They serve, says he, for food to the elephant and the rhinoceros, the first with his strong teeth or his trunk, and the latter with his horn, lays hold of this seeming stick, and rips it up from one end to the other, Then they then devour the pith and sometimes the rind. Ernest, the palate of these animals must surely be made of iron to be able to chew such a thorny substance without injury. Fritz, why so? Camels and asses are very fond of thistles and appear to digest them extremely well. It is probable, therefore, that the stomach of these animals is so formed that they, these prickly substances occasion in it only an agreeable excitation favorable to their appetite and their digestion. Father, your idea is not a bad one, and if it be not true, it is at least probable. Fritz, will you tell me, Father, the precise difference between true and probable? Father, your question is one of those which have occupied the attention of philosophers for countless years, and would be too tedious for discussion at this moment. I will, however, endeavor to make my answer such as to be of use to you in the science of logic or the art of reasoning. Let us see if you understand it. What we call true is that which cannot in any way be contradicted. For example, when I make an impression with my seal on some warm wax, it is absolutely true that the figure impressed on the wax is the same as that on the seal. A thing is probable when we have a variety of motives for believing it true without, however, being able to bring any proof. At this point of our discourse, we reached Jackal's River, which we crossed, stepping with great care from stone to stone, and shortly arrived at our old habitation, where we found everything we, as we had left it, and each went in pursuit of what he intended to take away. Fritz loaded himself with powder and shot. I and my wife, Frances, employed ourselves in filling our pot with butter, the carrying of which, on our return, it was agreed, was to fall to me. Ernest and Jack looked about for the geese and ducks, but as they were become somewhat savage, the boys could not succeed in catching one of them. The idea then occurred to Ernest of taking a small bit of cheese and tying it to the end of a piece of string and holding it to float in the water. The voracious animals hastened eagerly to seize it. In this way, Ernest drew them towards him one by one with the cheese in its mouth till he had caught the whole. Each bird was then tied in a pocket handkerchief, leaving the head at liberty and fastened one to each game bay, so that all had a share in carrying them. We had a thought of taking back a provision of salt, but the sacks being occupied with potatoes, we could only throw a small quantity loose into one of them, to lie between the potatoes, and this way we secured a tolerable supply. We now set our outloaded on our return, the ducks and geese with their heads and necks stretching out at our shoulders cackling with all their might gave us a truly singular and ludicrous appearance, and we could not help laughing immoderately. As we passed the bridge one after another, accoutred in so strange a fashion, our mutual jokes and the general good humor which prevailed served to shorten the length of the walk, and none complained of fatigue till seated under one. Uh, uh, 
our tree at Falcon Stream. My wife now prepared to console us by putting some of the potatoes which we so eagerly desired to taste immediately on the fire. She next milked the cow and the goat and gave us a draught of their warm milk. The kind creature, fatigued at least as much as any of us, made no attempt to rest herself till she had provided us with all she had to give for our refreshment. Having dined heartily on our potatoes, we concluded the day with evening prayers, and then joyfully climbed our ladder to seek the blessing of repose in, an, in our aerial castle. <laughs> <laughs>